it passes every day. I think we're going to do a great job. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Modern Man Podcast. Thank you for taking the time. It's an honor to have you. And this is a podcast about putting wind in each other's sails and becoming the best men we could be in our everyday lives. So go ahead, hit that subscribe button to catch a new episode every single week. We are all about helping men reach their full potential. And we do that by putting wind in each other's sails. Joining me today on the podcast, Phil Cohen to put some wind in our sails, man. Thank you for taking the time. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here, Ted. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. And before we start sharing some of your story and some of the work that you do with other men and the coaching that you do, I'd love to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself to our audience and kind of dig a little bit deeper into who you are. Sure. Yeah. So I'm originally from New York, born and raised. Now I live in Southern California. Mm -hmm. I am the youngest of three boys. And much like the babies of the family. I've got myself into a lot of trouble. I was a bit of a wild child as a kid and finally grew out of that, I think, in my late teens. I married my high school sweetheart in my mid-20s. And on January 2001, I had my first and only child, my son, Perry. Mm -hmm. And I would say that that was definitely the happiest day of my life because I always knew that I wanted to be a father. And then I was. Yeah. Most of most of my professional identity, I mostly identified myself as an entrepreneur slash VP of sales. Uh, started and sold two businesses, and most recently, quit a VP sales role with a global technology company to pursue what I feel like God has called me to do, and that's really helping others through post traumatic growth and finding growth past some you know traumatic experience. Yeah, and I see. You're also a TEDx speaker, and I watched your talk. It has over 150,000 views on on YouTube, and you share the story of grief and why maybe the initial thought process of what a journey through grief might look like could be misleading. And you do so through a powerful story of your own, which I'd I would kind of love to jump into for our listeners and our watchers because you know you mentioned what we identify ourselves as and. It could be a, a hard pill to swallow when our reality changes. Yeah. So that that journey began on July 24th, 2015, when uh, my would have been at that time 14 and a half year old son, who I mentioned earlier, my son Perry and his close friend were last seen leaving the Jupiter Inlet, which is an inlet uh, in South Florida that goes from the intracoastal out to the Atlantic Ocean. They were last seen on a 19 foot fishing boat. There was a really bad storm that came out of nowhere, which often does in South Florida. There are these storms that will just come out of nowhere. You know, they just will be raging winds, heavy rains, and then five minutes later, it's beautiful and sunshine again. Yeah. And one of those storms came out of nowhere. And after several attempts to reach the boys on their cell phones unsuccessfully, the Coast Guard was notified and one of the largest, if not, I haven't confirmed this yet, but a couple of people told me that it was the largest search in the history of the United States Coast Guard. The Coast Guard, the Navy, the Florida Wildlife, FBI. I mean, there were so many organizations that searched for the boys for seven excruciating days. Neither of the boys were ever found. And exactly what happened at sea that day still remains unclear. 
So that was, you know, and prior to that, I never, you know, I've always always considered myself blessed because I never really lost anybody that I loved. I mean, I, I maybe my grandfather, but I wasn't that close to, but all of a sudden I now lost the most precious person in my life and had no idea what what I was supposed to do from that point forward. Man, I'm I'm so sorry. And for anyone who can relate, I'm sorry for you too, any of the listeners and watchers. And you mentioned the TED talk of kind of not knowing where to go from there. And um, I wrote down, it says, I'm never going to recover from this. Mm. And for anyone of us who've been there, you know, that, that feeling is so real. Like this, I can never come back from this. I don't know. I don't know how to overcome this, but you mentioned there was a small glimmer of hope that arrives. And, and I'd love to kind of bridge that gap of how somebody can go from, I'm never going to recover from this to catching that glimmer of hope. What does that process look like? Yeah, that's a great question. So yeah, there's, that's, that's definitely was the first thought that came into my mind when I, was sitting across the table from the admiral of the United States Coast Guard, and he was, you know, it was the sixth day of the search, and he was just letting us know that they we're going to publicly announce tomorrow that the search will be called off. And just feeling like, well, okay, I knew my whole goal during those seven days was to keep the Coast Guard looking because once they stopped, I knew that that was it. Yeah. So once they told me that it was going to be over, that was my first thought that I'm just that I'm I'm done. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'll never recover from this. Yeah. And I didn't know, you know, I, I didn't know what to do. I mean, I got to the point where I actually, you know, months later, I, I Googled how to grieve because I wasn't sure if I was doing it right. I didn't know, you know, what I was supposed to do, what I wasn't supposed to do. And when I Googled how to grieve, the, the, the only thing I could really find in terms of like a process was the five stages of grief. Yeah. And for your for your audience that may not be familiar, the five stages of grief suggests that grief comes in five specific stages, that they're linear, and they end with acceptance, that you go from denial to anger, to bargaining, to depression, to acceptance. And immediately I felt a sense of pressure because that's not the way that I experienced grief. I my first feelings was one of fear. I also had feelings of revenge, which are are described in the five stages. Yeah, but I did come to realize that the five stages was originally developed in the late '60s, and that it was introduced for terminally ill cancer patients to process their own grief. That it really was never meant for the bereaved, even though that's how we've applied it this way for that long. I sought therapy. I went to talk therapy. I did EMDR therapy. I did yoga, meditation. I mean, I tried every form of everything. Number one, just to try and heal the pain. I mean, the insane amounts of pain. And this is, you know, a couple, you know, months and years after losing Perry that I'm talking about all this. I didn't do that all this in a short period of time. But it wasn't until, and those things were helpful, by the way. Um, one of the things that I, you know, when I talk to people, I say is that, you know, if you've ever experienced something traumatic like that, not maybe not specifically like what I went through, but because grief doesn't always have to be the loss of a loved one. It could be, you know, the loss of a job or the loss of a dream or the loss of a relationship. You know, we, we grieve all of those things. But for me, what got me to that next step was about 18 months after the original incident. You know, I hesitate to say, even though I said in my TED talk that 
I saw my son. And in my mind, I did. Maybe it was an aberration. Maybe, you know, it was very difficult to describe. A lot of people have tested me on that since I've made the, done the TED Talk and said, did you really see him? I feel like I did, but I know that I heard him. And what he said to me was, get up, dad. It's okay. Hmm. I'll see you when you get here. And, you know, knowing my son so well, it's like, that's the, like, that's exactly what he would have said and how he would have said it. You know, we were, I was crying on a floor in a dark room, curled up in a ball. And, you know, I hear him like, get up, <laughs> like enough already, dad. Like, you know, you, you know, I would always tell him to, you know, to live with passion and find what he would do, you know, not to, not to, get a job just for the money to do things that you love and the money will come. And he's basically saying to me, like, go live your life with passion and I'll see you when you get here. Yeah. And for me, that was a very pivotal point because that's when I knew that I needed to give myself permission to heal. Like I needed to get up. I needed to start to put my life back together. I was blaming myself. You know, how could you not save your own son? What, why didn't you do this? What if you would have done that differently? All the what ifs and the shoulda and the wouldas and the couldas. I knew that I, if I was going to survive, that I had to let that go. And I felt like Perry saying that to me reminded me that I know with absolute confidence and conviction that my son would not want me to see me crawled up on the floor in a dark room living my life that way. So I got up and I put one foot in front of the next and slowly and surely I started to see the pieces of my life come back together. Yeah. And I know you mentioned that process being 18 months later and and something you also point out is, you know, grief is is different for different people. And, you know, the timeline could be different for different people. The process yes. and the, the way you go through it could be different for different people. But the process of that one step in front of the other, you have something that you mentioned kind of like waking up excited again. And, you know, that could be a hard level to get to, right? Yeah. Okay. You know, waking up with something to look forward to. What does that process look like of finding meaning and finding joy in small things along the way? How important is that? It's everything. You know, I think, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, not to sound cliche, but where focus goes, energy flows, right? It's what you choose to focus on. I mean, just like we can walk outside and and stand underneath the sun pretty much anywhere on earth and feel as though we're wrapped in a warm blanket, you know, like it feels great. But if you take a magnifying glass and you focus the sun's energy, we can create fire, right? So mm -hmm. it was shifting the thought from why me, why God, why did you let this happen to me to, okay, now what? What can I do with what I've learned? How can I help other people? And all of, all of those thoughts, like all of the, the thoughts on this, what I call a grief continuum. Mm -hmm. So if, the, if acceptance was in the middle, and everything to the left of it was negative feelings, the denial, anger, bargaining, depression, helplessness, worthlessness, feelings of wanting to kill yourself. All of that is stuff is self-centered. Like that's all you thinking about you. Mm. And the second you start to think about, okay, how can I think about forgiveness? How can I think about helping other people? How can I think about purpose and passion? 
what's on the other side of acceptance. You're starting to think others centered. So I think once once you, although I do believe asking why is a valid question for a period, but it's not a place you want to live. You know, eventually you got to you got to make a conscious decision not to live in that place. Yeah. How do you find the gifts and the grief? You mentioned that, you know, grief has gifts and then finding that could definitely be an obstacle for folks. And, you know, especially for, for men who might not even dig into that pain in the first, <laughs> first place, which yeah. we, could, we could touch on in a second, but, you know, how do you find the gifts and the grief? I think by being number one, not focusing on only you mm-hmm. and how you feel and to think about. So, like I said earlier, I always, my professional identity was one of an entrepreneur and I'm Philco and VP sales. I run sales teams for technology companies. That's, that's the way I've basically always identified myself. And then, you know, over the last, you know, now it's been almost seven years, but, you know, years after losing Perry, people would come to me and they would just start asking me questions like, how are you even surviving right now? Like, how are you walking around? How are you even having a smile on your face? Like, and you know what? At first I didn't know how to answer that question, you know, other than saying, you know, you know, I saw my son and he told me he didn't want me to live this way. And and I feel like sometimes how we grieve can also be how we choose to honor the ones that we've lost. Cause I said, I know, I, I know you didn't want to see me that way. You know, and talking to so many, both men and women, I realized the stories that I'm sharing and the things that I'm doing are helpful. And I've had so many people come back to me and be like, man, you know, what you said to me the other day really helped me a lot. You know, it really helped me get past, you know, what I was thinking about. And even at, at my TED talk, there was one woman who I'll never forget. She came up to me afterwards and just grabbed my hand. And she was holding my hand in my right hand and both of her hands. And I kind of was like, almost like pulled away, but she was grabbing me so tight. And and she said, like, she goes, I just lost my father. She said it was like about two years ago. And she goes, I've been in such deep despair and everything that you just said really helped me. And I just want to thank you. And she started crying and I started crying. So for me, one of the, like, one of the gifts that I found is I feel like my true purpose, although Man, I would give anything to have my son back. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. there's, it's not like, you know, I would reverse anything to, to have him back and to see him again. But this, having gone through what I've gone through, I realized how I can help other people and helping other people has brought me an immense amount of joy and purpose and passion that I never would have found otherwise. So I think yeah. it's, yeah, it's, you know, keeping your eye out for it as well. Yeah. And that, that gift in terms of how you pour into others, I know you work with men a lot who notoriously sometimes swallow their pain or they, they don't necessarily acknowledge or grieve right away. They kind of compartmentalize it and go on about their day or their business as if nothing happened. And that could be dangerous. Why have you found that a lot of men kind of guess hide their pain or shy away from it? You know, I think partly because, you know, we're brainwashed as men, right? To believe that, you know, real men don't cry or share our emotions with other people, or we don't seek therapy. Like, no, we're men. We're supposed to, we're supposed to tough it out and suck it up. But Mm -hmm. grief doesn't work that way. You know, you, you, I don't care. You cannot outrun it 
You cannot outsmart it. I pushed it down in the beginning too. I tried to distract myself. But the thing is, you can never outrun those reminders. You know, yeah. you can never out or outflank the memories. And it really, it wasn't until I literally stopped running from it, stopped running from and hiding, trying to hide the pain that things started to change for me, that I actually, that I actually acknowledged it. Sometimes even just sit in it and knowing that, you know, it's okay to share and that it, it's okay to cry and it's okay to, and it's only that it's okay to eventually even heal. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people I've spoken to have told me that they feel as though if they tried to move on with their life, that it would mean that they had forgotten about the one that they loved. And that is such BS. That is such BS. I mean, you know, that, that healing doesn't mean forgetting. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, you know, I found, you know, especially men who've, who've lost children, you know, as a society, what we do is, and I've seen this play out at too many funerals, is we flock around mom. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't do that. I get why we do that and, and why so many people flock around the moms. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't, but generally you don't see too many people flocking around dad and dad wants to be the rock for his family. You know, he doesn't want to be the one also breaking down. He does that a lot of times in isolation, Yeah, you know, and oftentimes doesn't try to find help and tries to push it down. And I'll tell you why it's, I kind of liken it to trying to hold a beach ball underwater. You know, you could do it. You could do it for a while. It takes a little bit of effort, but eventually it's going to find its way to the surface. And the harder and faster you push it down, the harder and faster it comes up. And sometimes it hits you right in the face. Yeah, man. I think it was Bishop T.D. Jakes who mentioned, you know, a man holding his wife in grief, but a little Mm. part of him breaking because he so badly wanted to be held due. Yeah. And yes, a lot of us go through that. And an embarrassing story of myself when I, when I was little, there was a dog in the neighborhood. And one day we were on our bikes and I looked over my shoulder and the dog was there. So my friends all got on their bikes and took off and my chain popped. And I remember jumping off my bike, running down the street, screaming from this dog chasing me. And I finally get to the end of the block, hysterical crying, turn around. And I just sit down. I just gave up. And the dog just comes running up to me, (laughs) drool on his face and just starts licking me. (laughs) And I realized, oh, this is a friendly dog. But I, I wasted so much energy, so much effort running away from this because of thinking it would be a terrible outcome when it was just, I think it was like a little, like, like a golden retriever or something too. Yeah. It wasn't like a, a scary looking dog, but it was Cujo us, when it was chasing you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but a lot of us men are like that. Like the dog being grief, we run away from it. And it's not until we kind of let it catch us that we end up getting more embraced in it. I saw a thing someone mentioned you have the reflect, repair, and restart method. How is that helpful in terms of maybe embracing and accepting that grief and learning how to kind of work through it? Yeah. So when I said earlier, people would ask me, like, how did you actually, you know, how are you, what did you do? You know, how did you get from the deepest levels of despair to now living a life helping other people? You know, and at first, like I said, I couldn't really answer that. So I started to think, like, what? 
did I really do? Like, what were the steps that I took? And it's, it would take too long to go through all of them, but, you know, to the reflect part was to number one, to realize that what had happened, to not run away from it, to realize that grief doesn't have stages, to know that there is no timeline um, and that we don't reach a place of acceptance and that when we reach a place of acceptance, like we're good. Okay. You know, I I got it. I fought, you know, I fought the beast and now I'm good. Like grief doesn't work that way. You know, there'd be times even recently I saw a movie with my wife and I was in tears crying and, and, and that's okay. It doesn't mean that we're grieving wrong. If we still find ourselves, you know, missing that person, it we're still, yeah. it's, it's still okay to do that. We move back and forth through grief. You don't, you don't reach a place we don't all start at the same stage graduate through the same levels to eventually really you know reach the same destination it just doesn't work that way and the repair part is okay like what do i actually do like one is cultivating community making sure that you have somebody to talk to that you have others around you to help you you know self care things about ways that you can take care of yourself and things like that and then you know to react is to you know to actually do something you know, because you've, you've been through something. We've all been through something, you know, somebody said something to me a while ago and it stuck with me. He said, we're always most powerfully positioned to serve the person that we once were. So who were you, you know, five years ago, you know, what have you gone through? Chances are some of your listeners have gone through something, some sort of trauma, tragedy, major life transition, and they've learned something from that. And there's lessons that they can share with other people to help those people get through their similar trauma, tragedy, or transition. Don't just keep it all to yourself. You know, there are lessons there that you should share. And then through that sharing is where you start to see a lot of the growth come. So those are, that's the short version of the three stages. Nice. How do you surpass acceptance? How do you surpass acceptance? Like, I think it comes back to, you know, knowing that there once can be gifts or stages beyond acceptance that you can find purpose or passion or a way to give back. But I think, you know, the one thing you have to be willing to do is to, like you said earlier, you know, you, you may not have faced the dog, you know, you may have been forced to because you just couldn't run any further, right? You just had to sit down and it caught up to you and realize, wow, this isn't really that bad. Listen, the fact is, is that, you know, none of us are going to make it out of this life unscathed, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and all of us are going to experience some sort of storm. And the only choice we really have is how we respond to that storm. And one of my mentors really helped me understand this by sharing a story about where he grew up near the Rocky Mountains in Colorado. And Colorado is one of the only places in the world where both buffaloes and cows can coexist. Mm-hmm. And there's a fantastic lesson that can be learned about by how each of these creatures responds to storms because both of them can sense the storm coming. Mm-hmm. So when the storms come over the Rockies, they almost always brew from the West and roll towards the East, right? And cows can sense the storm coming. And what they do is cows begin to run East away, mm-hmm. kind of like you were you know, running away from that dog, right? Running, trying to get away from it. And the only problem is, is that if you know anything about cows, you know that they're not very fast. So the storm catches up to them rather quickly. And without knowing any better, the cows continue to try and outrun the storm. Mm-hmm. But instead of outrunning it, they run with it and ultimately maximizing the amount of time, pain, and frustration 
that they experience from that storm. Mm-hmm. And it's been my experience that the humans that humans do the same thing, that we spend so much of our lives trying to avoid the inevitable trials, tragedies, and transitions that come with difficult circumstances. Yeah. You know, but what buffaloes do is quite unique to the animal kingdom. Buffaloes actually wait for the storm to cross over the crest of the mountaintop. And as the storm rolls over the ridge, they turn and they charge directly into the storm. <laughs> they run at the storm. And by running at the storm, they run right through it, minimizing the amount of pain, time, and frustration that they experience from the storm. But notice how it's the same storm. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just such an excellent metaphor for all of us, because although we're in different places in life, we all have storms. And, you know, I think it just comes to a time when you're, you're ready to face that storm that you actually start to approach and then eventually surpass acceptance. Bill, that that was that was beautifully beautifully described. I would love for our audience to have a chance to connect with you. Use your services if they need, if they unfortunately can relate to your experience, and they need maybe a little bit of a guiding light through that storm. Maybe yeah. someone to help charge it with them. I'd love for them to be able to connect with you. I'd love that. Yeah, they can do that at, at my website. Uh, it's just philcohen.com. That's P-H-I-L-C-O-H-E-N. I have a page there where they can set up a time to chat with me and it's free you know, for half an hour just to see if it's a good fit. If not, that's okay too. I'll often leave people with tools and ways to handle whatever it is that they've been through, some things that I do that help me or that might help them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe check out my TED Talk as well. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And I'll have those links in the show notes below, but Phil, Again, my condolences and thank you for the work that you're doing in helping others travel through this grief and and charge the storm. I want to share some of the the gems that you left along the way. I like to take notes during the episode for our listeners who might be driving or maybe just cleaning up the house while they're listening, but I'm never going to recover. I know a lot of us, unfortunately, if we've been there, we can't fathom a life past the grief that we're currently in or the reality that we found ourselves in. But as vividly as Phil hears the words, get up, dad, you know, we will eventually find our little glimmer of hope, our sign, our permission to heal, as you mentioned, and so beautifully mentioned is we all have that permission to heal. And then finding the gifts in the grief in terms of how can, how can I help others when we stop thinking of ourselves and start thinking about the others that we can impact and help, helping finding a way to honor those that we grieve. And then you can't outrun the storm healing does not mean forgetting. I, I definitely had to write that down. Healing does not mean forgetting. And of course, you know, what can you do for others? And most importantly, remember the buffalo versus the cow Yeah, and run directly into the storm. Phil, the buffalo. thank you so much. <laughs> thank you, Ted. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. To the listeners, we appreciate you making it to the end. I hope that you got value from this episode. If you know someone who could benefit from it, it would mean the world to us. If you could share it with them, go ahead, hit that subscribe button and leave us a rating to let us know how we're doing. We release an episode each and every week. So we're excited to see you again next time. And like we always say at the end of the episode, everybody wants the sunshine, but they don't want the rain, but you can't get the pleasure without first the pain. Let's grow.